people need to slow down and notice the roses. That's the statement, there went my notes. Um, that's the statement that my grandfather used to repeat to me every week when I would go and visit him in the nursing home. Uh, after his stroke, he had started to lose his memory, and so each week I would go and visit him, and it would end up being the exact same stories about his time in the Navy in the Pacific, which were real interesting the first couple times, and then after that, got real, real boring, but I faithfully went and visited my grandfather, and eventually he would ask me about what was going on in my life, and I would start talking about how busy I was with school, and with work, and with life, and he would say the same misquote of the popular proverb. He would say, people need to slow down and see the roses. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about wonder, those moments in your life that kind of jar you out of the mundane monotony of everyday life. Like we all go through life, we're sleeping and eating, binge watching shows on Netflix, and then it's another day of doing the exact same thing. But then there's these moments that make you stand up and notice. All of a sudden you're like, this is an important moment. This is a life-changing moment. This changes everything. It's these moments of wonder. Um, Darby and I just got back from Maine, a trip we took on vacation, and I think sometimes we're rushing so fast through life that we miss moments of wonder. That there's these moments we remember, but sometimes there's moments that we miss because we're moving so fast. And uh, as we were coming back from Maine, it was such a long drive, and I am such an annoying person to be in the car with on a long drive, because <laughs> I get bored after a while, and then I'm like... I gotta pick on my wife or my dog or somebody to stay in, you know, stay awake, stay interested. Um, and as we were in the middle of the 12-hour drive back, I was like, I wish we had flown. I just wish we had flown. Flying is so much faster. Um, you get there so quickly when you fly, but you know what? You miss a lot of stuff. When I fly, I don't notice some of the things that you see when you drive. We were driving along, and we went across this bridge, and we just happened to look over, and this eagle, bald eagle swooped down out of the air into the water caught a fish and came up i was like wow that was a pretty awesome moment like i'm glad we saw that but if i had been flying i wouldn't have caught that i would have been moving too fast to see it um cars are slower than planes but you still miss details flying by at 70 75 80 85 9 you know depending on how fast you uh, go over the speed limit you're still missing things uh, we stopped at a rest stop in massachusetts to let our dog out and stretch his legs and uh, I was just walking along a grassy field, and I found this four-leaf clover. If you've never seen a four-leaf clover, you can come up and see it afterwards. But I'm like, if I had been rushing by in a car at 80 miles an hour, I would have missed this. I would have missed this. And I think there's some things in our lives that we miss because we're just moving so fast. We just rush by, right past moments of wonder. Some of us are taking a plane through life, and we're just flying so high and so fast. We're rushing to a destination, and we're missing all the details that make life worth living. We're rushing past beauty at such breakneck speeds that we're missing it. And I think what I'm going to suggest today is that we're also missing God in the process, too. Slow down. Enjoy the details. The wonder is in the details. A long-term study published in, in Environmental Science and Technology in 2014 found that on average, people who move to greener areas, they don't live in cities like Philadelphia, but they move to greener areas, experience an immediate improvement in mental health and less mental distress. 
and they found that this was long-lasting. They continued the study up to three years after somebody moved, and their health, their mental health, just kept getting better and better as they spent time in greener areas. A study published in PNAS in 2015 found that participants who walked for 90 minutes a week through a green park exhibited brains at peace and dwelled less on the negative aspects of their life. They, these people also experienced decreased activity in the prefrontal cortex, which is an area of the brain where they usually register depression. A study published in 2018 in, in environmental research found that health benefits of spending time in green spaces included improved heart rate, improved blood pressure, reductions in cholesterol levels, improved sleep duration, um, also reductions in type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and overall mortality. People live longer by spending more time outside in green areas. A 2014 study published in Experimental Aging Research found that short-term and long-term memory improved in both older adults, people between 64 and 80 in the study, and university-age students between 18 and 25. After a short exposure to photos of nature, both groups could remember more about their life. So somehow, just showing you this picture of my trip to Maine somehow makes you a healthier person. Isn't that wild? Just even looking at a picture of nature helps your brain remember things better. And yet, despite all that, that's just known scientific fact, our world seems specifically designed to keep us busy and distracted, to keep us rushing from one activity to the next, to perpetuate a kind of hurried distress that distills down into every aspect of our life. It just spreads anxiety through our entire being. The modern world with all of its conveniences and comforts seems designed to disconnect us from nature, from outside, and I think ultimately to leave us untethered to the things that really matter, disconnected from both nature and, by extension, I think, God. Um, when I was pastoring in Tennessee before I moved up here to start Horizon Community Church, a faithful family in the church in Tennessee, um, all their kids went to church except their oldest son, and so they started talking to me, and they were like, hey, could you go talk to our son and convince him to attend church with us? So I met up with him and chatted with him about games and movies and all the nerd stuff I loved and that he loved. <laughs> And finally, I was like, so this is what your parents want. This is why they sent me to talk to you. Um, and what he said has haunted me. And his words continue to play over and over in my head. He says, on a Sunday, I go out and kayak in the nearby mountains. And when I kayak out in the mountains and it's still and quiet, I hear the whisper of God. But when I'm in a church service, that whisper is too hard to hear over the lights and the music, the production and the bravado. Shouldn't I be where I can hear from God? And when he said that, I was like, who am I to say, you need to come back and attend this service, right? I think he was on to something. I think sometimes we talk so much in our services, we don't give God any space to speak. We build big, beautiful buildings to keep nature out, but I think that nature is trying to guide us into the presence of God. And when we slow down to wonder, our hearts get ready to hear the whisper of God. Like a patient teacher, I think nature walks us through the steps to notice the voice of God. Just for a minute, just close your eyes with me, okay? It's not going to be weird, but just listen to everything you hear. From the wind and the rustle of the leaves. There's just something.
something about being in nature that can still you and prepare you to speak with God and to talk with God. John Muir, known as the father of the national parks, worked relentlessly to preserve massive sections of the U.S. for future generations to enjoy. And he saw his mission, this is how he explained his mission, as saving the American soul from total surrender to materialism. When Darby and I visited Acadia National Park in Maine this week, uh, they had this huge quote by Muir up on the wall. He was both a naturalist, though, and something of a religious mystic. He believed that by slowing down and pausing to notice the beauty in nature, this would be a natural step to reach for the transcendent God. Here's a quote by Muir. From a mountain, the light makes everything look divine and opens a thousand windows to see God. And this idea isn't a new idea. This isn't something like, oh, this sounds kind of flaky, Alex. You know, ancient Christians in the late 200s and 300s, um, they went out into the desert, known as the desert fathers and mothers, and they would go out in the wilderness to pray and to live. And they believed that in the wilderness, they could both hear from God better, they could focus on speaking to God better. And some of the most profound and moving Christian literature that is still read and studied today came from these believers who would ponder God in nature. And the Bible itself supports this approach to knowing God. Look at Job's response to his friends in Job chapter 12. We're going to read verses 7 through 12, or 7 through 10. Ask the animals and they will teach you, or the birds in the sky and they will tell you. Speak to the earth and it will teach you, or let the fish in the sea inform you. Which of these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. Job lost everything, and then his friends came along and started blaming him for his own misfortune. Um, don't you love having friends like that? You know, like something really bad happens, and they're like, it's really your fault. If you had done better or thought through better or made better decisions, sometimes parents are like that too, you know, you like, Mom, I just want you to comfort me right now. It's like, no, it's your fault because you didn't, you didn't make good decisions. Um, he countered their arguments, though, by saying that they were mistaken about who was who God was. They had a theology of God that was incompatible with the real world. And then he shares this passage that we read above with them. He's like, have you looked at the animals? He's suggesting that the animals can teach us and the birds and the fish and the earth itself something about God that we can't learn in seminary or in a book. He says the earth speaks and teaches us about who God is and what he's like. The created world is teeming with glimpses of God. Nature wants to tell us a story about who God is and where we fit into his big, good story. Um, in the classic Disney film, The Sword in the Stone, anybody see Sword in the Stone? It's my favorite Disney film. Okay. Some of you need to go rent it um, because it's, I love it. But um, Merlin in it teaches King Arthur, he's just a boy though named Arthur, lessons of wisdom by turning him into different animals. And by seeing the world through the eyes of animals, Arthur develops a new appreciation for life. He sees his former life in a new light and is able to reject the arrogance and the vulgarity of his culture. Um, he's essentially being able to become someone who can be king. When was the last time you slowed down enough to learn from a chipmunk? <laughs> I mean, that sounds ridiculous, right? But I was sitting up in Maine at our campsite, and these chipmunks are coming out of these holes underneath rocks and running around, scurrying around and going back in. I'm like, when was the last time I slowed down enough to even notice a chipmunk 
let alone ponder what they teach me about who God is. Hmm. Most of the time I'm rushing way too fast. I'm so interested in what's going to be, uh, what the result is going to be, that I forget about the journey along the way. The earth speaks of the wonders of God, but only to those who slow down enough to see it, to listen, and to learn from it. Now, if all of this sounds a bit too mystical for you, uh, consider what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verses 27 through 31. Jesus said to his followers, Have you noticed how the wildflowers grow? When was the last time you noticed how the wildflowers grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these flowers. If that is how God clothes the flowers, the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is cut down and thrown into someone's fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? Don't set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after such things. Your father knows you need them. There's probably something in your life right now you need. Your father knows you need it. He knows. He knows what you need. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Now, Jesus seems to be presenting two options for the apprentices of the way that he lived and loved. He essentially says, slow down enough that you wonder at wildflowers, ordinary, everyday things that you normally walk past and don't notice, or the other result would be that your mind will worry instead. See, worry isn't a punishment for not slowing down, but it is a result of not slowing down. It's a result of running so fast we don't restore our soul with moments of beauty and wonder. What I find as a driven person, driven people usually drive over moments of wonder in their quest to get things done. But life is more than just, it's about more than just getting stuff done. Life is about who we are becoming. Like at a funeral, nobody's like, well, he got a lot of stuff done, but he was a really terrible person, right? No, people stand up and they say, they, whatever they can, they try to say something good about who that person was. Beauty and wonder shape who we are. And sometimes we're moving so fast trying to get things done that we miss the beauty and the wonder that would shape us into people like Christ. You wonder fights worry. Worry is what happens when we're moving too fast to stop and wonder. Now I'm not saying that we don't need therapists and counseling and medication because we do and I believe in that, but I am concerned by the fact that our culture has the highest anxiety levels ever recorded in human history and it's interesting that studies show that the higher a country's um, gross profits the higher the levels of anxiety are in that culture. So the richer the nation, the more anxious people are. There's something about the way we're designing our societies that is actually making us more anxious. It seems the faster that we run towards money and success and materialism, the more our soul is eaten up because we run over chances to stop and wonder. Some of the anxiety we are facing is because we've accepted the speed that our culture moves at instead of simply realizing that it's absurd. In the words of Dallas Willard, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Hurry is the great enemy of your spiritual life. The great enemy of your spiritual life isn't sin, even though I think sin is a byproduct of that. 
a symptom. The great enemy of your spiritual life isn't dark spiritual forces, even though I do think they're at work empowering oppressive systems in our world. The great enemy of your spiritual life is hurry. You're moving too fast. That's the biggest thing standing between you and becoming more like Jesus. You're doing too much too quickly. You're not taking moments to stop and wonder. Just think about that for a minute. The most spiritual thing you might do this week is to slow down and notice God in the gaps. Watch a tree grow over a decade. This tree here actually used to stand right here on this property. I was out here last summer and uh, it was a thunderstorm and lightning struck the tree and shot all the way down it and left this jagged line and bark shot out into the parking lot and splattered against people's cars. And so we had someone come early this year and cut down the tree and we saved this ring. Uh, we tried to count the rings. It's over 70 years old, this tree, that we had to cut down because it was struck by lightning. Trees don't grow quickly. They grow over decades. It was a massive tree, but it started as just a small nut. Watch an ant slowly carry food back to the nest. Watch a bird meticulously weave a nest. Watch a river over a lifetime carve through rock. Quietly persevering, nature is much more patient than we are. We worry about what we can get done this week, or this month, or this year, and nature is just so much more patient. And I think God's much more patient, too. Who are we becoming over a lifetime? Not just what we're getting done this week. When we're rushing through life, we're moving so fast, we miss the details. We miss the four-leaf clovers. We miss the details that make us stop and wonder. We miss the moments that make life beautiful. Gerard Manley Hopkins was a poet in the 19th century who believed that nature was a lens for viewing the divine. He coined this phrase in his writing called inscape. Just as a view has a landscape, he believed everything you saw in nature also had an inscape. Everything had a unique characteristic that made it special. He said no two trees are alike, no two leaves are exactly alike. He felt that by studying a tree or a wildflower until you found its unique elements, it ended up giving you a sense of wonder and a glimpse into why God created it and what God was like. Here's how he described his method. Ultimately, he said, inscape leads one to Jesus. For the individual identity of any object is a stamp of divine creation on it. What he's saying is the unique aspect of a stone or a tree or a wildflower is God's signature on it. When I was a boy, I used to pick up rocks all the time. And as we were walking along the main coast, I was like, I never pick up rocks anymore. I don't have time to notice a cool looking rock, right? I'm too busy with more important things. But what if wondering at what made some rock more unique than some other rock next to it, what if that moment of wonder was important? The things that make Things important, uh, things unique are God's signature on it. But God doesn't just put his signature on nature. He puts his signature on you. The things that make you unique, that's God's signature on you and on your life. Wonder is finding the poetry that God wrote into nature, the poetry he writes into your story. Slow down, eliminate hurry, and you'll notice that your life has a lot more wonder in it than you ever thought or imagined. Study the handiwork of God until you notice the unique details, it's good for your body and your soul. In the words of Job, question the earth 
and she'll answer you. Listen to the birds and they will sing it. Visit the fish, they will dance it. Watch the animals and they will teach you. They will teach you the wonder of who God is. When we slow down, we see the roses and we realize God's closer than we ever thought. Lord Jesus, thank you for this reminder that I run way too fast. And that the moments that matter most are the moments when we're still, when we sit with someone that we care about, when we spend time with a community of people learning to live and love like you, when we stop and pause and speak to you or hear from you. The most important moments in life are not when we're running the fastest, but when we're standing still. You told us, be still and know that I am God. And many times we doubt that you're there and that you're good because we're moving too fast to be still and feel your presence and hear your voice. So God, I pray that this week that you will help us pause. You'll help us slow down. You'll help us notice the wonder that you've weaved into our world all around us and that we'll know that you are good, that you love us, and that you're for us. I pray these things like I believe Jesus would. Amen.